is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. What a beautiful thought. We see the Lord doesn't want any more rebels in heaven. All of us, when we get there, we will bow down and worship the Lord because we will have a full revelation of what eternal salvation means. At the moment, we're saying not very clearly. It's a bit blurry what we've been delivered from and to, but one day we will have the full revelation of what Christ has done for us. I wonder if we what would be the reason for bowing down and for worshiping God eternally in heaven. Well, we will be unable to do that, especially when we will have a full revelation of hell as well. Talking with a good brother yesterday, I said to him, uh, I've attended quite a few funeral services in my life, and one day I approached a fellow worker in the Lord, a pastor, after he had conducted a funeral service, and I asked him, We know about the person who died. We know his life. We know that he was a blasphemer. You know that. Why were you telling people that he's gone to a better place? He tapped on my shoulder. He said, don't worry. You know, they are already sorrowful. I didn't want to tell them that he's gone to hell. I said, oh, I see. But you see what you've said make other people feel that you know, when they die, they also go to a better place. That's the compound, the conflagration of what you've said. And yesterday, another brother said to me, oh, what if someone knew the person who has died and knew that he was better than that person? Automatically, he goes back home and says, well, if he's gone to a better place, I will have the better compartment. You see, we're just complicating things because we want to please people. And he said to me, what would you do? What would you say? I said, well, I've done it in the past very wisely. I've spoken about the sorrow, the physical separation with the person. Very quickly, I've shifted to talk about the living who are still here. And the need to be reconciled with God. I don't waste my time on the person who has gone, especially if he was a blasphemer and God-hater. I will do so if I had a clear testimony of the person who is going to be with the Lord. Then I can confidently say, you know, comfort one another with this word, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, for those who have fallen asleep in Christ. You see, sometimes we want to please people and we overdo things, we only complicate things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to bless you once again this morning, O oh Lord. We thank you for you are the one who works all in all, according to the counsel of your own pleasure and will. We thank you, Lord, for gathering us this morning here. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the head of the body, the master of the house. We pray that, Lord, as we've been exalting your name this morning, Lord, 
you will continue to be exalted, Lord, through the sharing of your word. Bless us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to meditate accurately on your words. And bless our heart, Lord, that it will be a fertile soil to receive. But Lord, who has known your mind to tell you what to do? We just pray that, Lord, you lead us, you inspire, you reveal for the glory of the Father. In Jesus' name and by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Amen. topic this morning, the judgment seat of Christ. There is a subtitle, striving for a crown. The judgment seat of Christ, striving for a crown. Many years ago, a colleague of mine who is a pastor was preaching to his congregation and he said, we will all appear before Christ for his judgment he concluded that We could still go to hell. Okay. He was referring to Romans 14, verse 10, or 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, which says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body. So you find these two scriptures, the same scripture in Romans 14, 10, and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, but that's not our main scripture this morning. Then there is another passage. By the way, the things I'm talking about this morning here, I am very, very conscious that They are a kind of reminder. What I mean by that is, do not expect anything new here. This is a reminder of what we know, what we were told when we became Christians, that there will be a judgment in the end. Those who have rejected God will go to hell. Those who receive Christ will live with him. So it's a really a reminder of what we know already. And I saw a great white throne, and I saw the dead, small, and great standing before God. That's the second one, talking about the judgment. The first one, the judgment seat of Christ. This one here, I always confuse great white throne. Sometimes I say white great throne. Two different realities here. The judgment seat of Christ versus the great white throne. Two different things. Yes, Paul is including himself when he says, for we must all appear. 
before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive. We appearing to receive is a place for reward. Our works will be judged and then we will be rewarded according to our life work. What we would have done being in this body here. That is the judgment seat of Christ. Not to confuse with the great white throne. Because everyone who will appear before the great white throne will go to hell. No one will be acquitted. Because the Bible says we will judge the world. We will be with Christ to judge the world. So those are two different things. Just because the Bible says we must all appear does not mean we will come to that judgment. For there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ, those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Okay. Let's turn to our first reading. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 to 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 to 15. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another built on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no one, no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will, reveal, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on, on it endures, he will receive a reward. Verse 15. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yes, as so as yet so as through fire. I think this is, I would say, almost self-explanatory. It's very clear that we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded. But before that, everyone's work will be tested. And we will be rewarded on whatever will survive fire. If anyone's work, achievement, is totally consumed, they won't receive any reward, but they themselves will be saved. As someone who is running from a burning house, has no time 
to pick up anything, just run, lose everything, including their clothes. But they are saved from that fire. That's the picture. And remember, this is happening in heaven. So the lost people, the unbelieving people, will not be in heaven to take part to this event. Verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder. There are two things here. First of all, Paul recognizes the enabling totally being from the Lord, completely by the grace of God. And then in the second part, there is a response to that. You see, the grace of God comes with responsibility and accountability. By the grace of God, as a wise master builder. The grace of God is received and must be considered very carefully with reverence, for we shall give an account. How many people boast of the gifting and the ministry? To the one who has received much, much more will be required. If we say, if we think, if we believe that we are very gifted, the accountability must be in the same proportion. By God's grace, as a wise master builder. The second part is a response. You've seen a builder doing their work. The greatest feature of the work they do is precision. Precision. They have a tool to measure precision. Paul is talking about precision. Remember the story of Apollos? Very eloquent man who was taken aside by simple members of the congregation and taught a more accurate way. And the Bible says when he went to Ephesus, he started disputing with people. He focused the ministry on Christ, the reason one which suggests to me that that key feature of the gospel was missing in what he was doing. 
precision and accuracy is required from Bible teachers and preachers. Because no one can do that on his own, we need the Spirit of God who knows the mind of the Father. For it is he who convicts us of judgment, righteousness, and the truth of God. Christ says, without me, you can do nothing. You see, the Holy Spirit is not uh, a spare tire. People become nervous when you speak about the Holy Spirit because they think Pentecostal. There's no church without the Holy Spirit. It's a mere human organization. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit that makes the church. That's why they had to wait in Jerusalem. The birth of the church was originated by the Holy Spirit himself. It is his presence that makes the church. It is his presence in us that makes us the temple of the living God. While people have started becoming very nervous in the body of Christ because we want to exalt intellectual and bookish knowledge. Well, I remember one day someone approached me in this country here. After I preached somewhere and said to me, do you know Armenianism? That was the first time I heard the word. I said, I don't know. He said, you don't know Armenianism? I said, I don't know. Even as I'm talking now, I don't know. I don't have to know. Well, I want to know Christ. Not Armenian. I don't even know where it comes from. If it's a mark of a car or a village. I don't want to. I want to know Christ and his doctrine here. We're just complicating things ourselves. Books. We will do well if we invest more here. I don't mean to offend anybody. Paul recognizing, recognizes the undeserved ability from God to do the work. Now, the foundation was the fact that the church at Corinth was planted because of the gospel that was preached. Paul had preached Christ, the crucified, who also rose again. He preached that which he also received, the gospel by which we are saved. There's no other way. The gospel of salvation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 to 4, Paul gives the following fundamental elements of what the gospel is and should be. He said that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the summary. That's the fundamental truth of the gospel. If you don't want to preach the gospel, just say that. Say, I can't preach. I don't know that much. I'm just announcing you that Christ died, rose again the third day. He died for our sins. That was foretold before. Those who believe in him become children of God. Jude verse, Jude verse 3 speaks of the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. You see, Paul received and Jude referred to the 
Faith that was once for all delivered to the saint, nothing new. The foundation has been laid. Doesn't the Bible say that we've been built up on the foundation of the apostle and the prophet, Jesus Christ being himself the chief cornerstone? Remember one day I said Jesus being the cornerstone. One of the kids said to me, no, chief cornerstone. Then there is a solemn warning that is given in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10c. But let each one take heed how he built on it, on that foundation. We should be very, very careful as to how we build on that foundation. In substance, how do we build on the foundation laid by those who started this work here? They've left it at some point. Now we are living, we are here. You and I, each one of us, and we will go, and other people will come. How are we building? When we look at the statute of the people who built this place, the people who start the work here in 1939, I think, there was no computer, but the work they did was phenomenal. You could almost hear the heartbeats of what they were thinking about what they were writing about 100 years ago. We're now playing our partition. We are now building on what they've, what they've left, and we will pass, and others will come. Others will come. So, what was the situation at Corinth? What was the context of all this? What was the context, the broader context, in which Paul was speaking? Well, Paul comes, preach the gospel, plant the church starts, and then he moves on, and then other people come, they introduce themselves by stealth, is the expression, furtivement, cunningly, cleverly, and they start preaching something different from what Paul, what the word of God said. Result of that? Division in the church. I am of Apollos. I am of Paul. Paul is not happy with that. Paul said, did I die for you? Did Apollos die for you? You belong to Christ and Christ is God's. That's what counterfeit gospel can produce. That's the context. Verse 11. Jesus Christ and his finished work is the foundation. There's no other foundation. Now, one can build things. It's not a problem. The building will still emerge. But if Christ is not the foundation, that's not the church. It's something else. So which spiritual material are we building with on that point for foundations? For the Bible gives a list there, you know, silver, gold, precious stone, hay, straw, wood, etc. So which material are we building with? Long-lasting worth and ever-transforming word of God? 
or feel good, complacent, and diluted, fake, false, counterfeit teaching. Which material? Remember, although in general, this passage can be applied, generally speaking, to every believer. That's true. But the particular context here is a context of false teaching. Because some people introduced themselves and taught things that were contrary to the word of God. That's the kind of material we're talking about here. Long-lasting and transforming gospel that changes life, increases us in more Christ-likeness. I love that word. We don't have that in French. Christ-likeness. Or we're distributing to people what they want to hear, to feel good about themselves. Straw, wood, hay, that will be burned up. Teaching of long-lasting worth is represented by gold, silver, or precious stones. Worthless and feel-good teaching, which also promotes speculative adaptation of fake and flawed prophecies that troubles believers, is represented by wood, straw, and hay. Fake adaptation. So people look at situation in the media, and they come with that, and they cut and paste a little bit of it, and they make it a prophet, and everybody's troubled and scared. Well, there weren't that many prophets, prophets before COVID. Everyone is a prophet now. Everyone is a prophet now. Every teaching is about COVID now. And the Antichrist and 666. Not before March 2020. Everybody's under fear now. Look to the Bible. Look to Jesus. Trust in him. Rely on him. Stay on him. He will make your path straight as you go along with him. Hand in hand, step in step, with him at hand to guide and to, and to lead and to help. Not men, not fabricated prophets. People are under fear. Do you know that Christ delivers us from fear? Do you know that fear is the opposite of faith? Let's be very careful. Someone said believers are more afraid, even more than pagans who have no hope these days. Let's be very careful. Yes, it is true that this passage in general refers to the lives of the believers on a daily basis. But a more careful examination of this passage indicates that it refers to preachers and, and teachers. Yes. Verse 13. Each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it. The day is the judgment seat of Christ. The day with D capital sometimes referred to Christ himself. Sometimes to that day of judgment. In this context is the judgment seat of Christ. That where everyone's work will be revealed, will be tested, reviewed, and revealed. 
like gold, silver, and precious stones, service that has brought glory to God, blessing to men, and edification to the church will not be affected by fire. On the contrary, like wood, hay, straw, service that has caused trouble to men and failed to edify the church to God's glory will be consumed. The fire will test each one's work on that day. So which fire then in heaven? Which fire in heaven? What will happen at the Bema, judgment seat of Christ? Sorry, I should have said that before. The judgment seat is an, in, in, in Greece, in Greek, it is an elevated place where there is a seat where the judge sits. It's a bit elevated. It's called Bema. That's the Greek word. So sometimes we use the word Bema, seat of Christ. It's the same as judgment seat of Christ. Okay. So what would happen then? Which, which, what sort of fire? And why reward anyway? You remember in Revelation chapter 1 verse 14, Christ's eyes are like a flame of fire. He will judge our work just with a look. He won't need matches and, and, and just to look will purify everything because he cannot look things that are not perfect and pure. He will be able to scan through everything we've done, including what we call victories. And his eye, just looking, will consume anything and see what is left before the king of kings. And we will be rewarded on the base of that. That's quite serious. Not the quantity, not our scale, not our assessment, no, but Christ's standards with his eyes, just looking and consuming things. And why crowns? Why rewards anyway? We are already in heaven with Christ. Why? Well, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 10, I think it is, we know what the 24 elders are doing with their crowns. We worship God with those rewards. They cast them down and they worship God with that. And I'm reminded this picture. Quite a few times, a number of times, I've attended uh, a world celebration of our, our, our children. And the children say they get their word. Rather than enjoying and celebrating their word, they say, I'm so happy I did this for you. That's what Joyce said, me, said one day to me. I'm so glad I worked hard for you. So it's not just the pleasure of the award. It's the object and the subject of it. To receive the award and to come to Christ and say thank you. It was you doing this. And we're talking about award by heaven standards before Christ. 
to worship him and put down the crowds before him. Verse 14. A servant will receive a reward if his life work endures the test of the Bema judgment seat of Christ. Verse 15. A servant will suffer loss if his life work is worthless, although he himself is saved. Now, there is a slight problem there. Roman Catholicism has used this passage to support its teaching of purgatory. You see, you will not be saved, but you will be somewhere being purified there before you are saved. Now, there's no such idea. A careful examination of 1 Corinthians 3.15 reveals no such thing. In fact, Hebrews 9.27 says, it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. There's no possibility for any purgatory or any waiting room or something like that. No. The day of salvation is today. It's now. After death, there's no hope, no possibility to be saved again. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 to 6, we are encouraged to endure hardship as good soldiers of Christ. In that passage, 2 Timothy 2, 4 to 6, in that passage, there are three pictures. First picture, a soldier who is enlisted and not preoccupied, busy with the affairs of the life. Now, he's focused on the mission, on the duty to defend the country and to please the person who has enlisted him. That's the first picture. First picture. The second picture is in athletics. Athletics speaks of discipline, training, and focus on the goal. The crown. The crown. You see, an athlete is very disciplined because of his competition. He's really focused on the goal, on what he wants to achieve. And that translates in the way he sleeps, he eats, the way he spends his time, his leisure, everything, because he has a competition. He has a goal. And then you have the picture of a hard-working farmer. That speaks of perseverance and an anticipation of the harvest. A farmer works very hard. He knows that the outcome will be rejoicing. He knows with certainty that the harvest will come. And that motivates him, that commands his action today, because he knows that he's going to reap the harvest. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 to 3, don't turn to it. I'll just read it for you on my, for my notes. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 to 3, I have found one of the 
rare exception, exceptional place where you have side by side an integrated reality of the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne, white great throne, great white throne, okay. In Daniel 12, what does it say? And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, number one, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. This is the judgment, the last judgment, where people go to hell. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmaments, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. That's the reward. Turning many to righteousness of God. Teaching the righteousness of God. Pointing people to the righteousness of God. There is a special reward for that one. Shining like stars. Shining like stars. Special reward for that. Yes, there are crowns. There is a white stone with a new name which only the recipient knows what it is. There is a new name being given by God written on us. There is sitting with the throne with God on the throne. So many sorts of rewards await. But this one here is for people who will teach the majority the righteousness of God. Continue. Do not be discouraged. Teach the righteousness of God. Brother John, continue. There is a reward. Second reading, and I will move very fast. First Corinthians chapter 9. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in a such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. 26, therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. That's the way we should run. Well, disqualify here once again is not talking about losing salvation. It's not about losing salvation, it's about being disqualified. Verse 24, the prize is not salvation. The prize is a reward, it's not salvation here. But with all those things, the Bible says, a person is not rewarded, is not crowned if he hasn't competed according to the rules 
Well, I gave, the, I gave the other day an example. Suppose you start the marathon. You know, people run the marathon for many, 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 many motivations. Some people start after a few yards, they stumble at the first pub and they stay there until midnight and they go back home very drunk. Some of them do a little bit more. Some of them do two kilometers because they fundraising. Look, I'm gonna run two kilometers. Please, can you support because of that charity? And some come, they say, I want to win this 26 kilometers or mile, whatever it is. They come to win. The preparation, the training is different. Now don't laugh. Suppose you start a marathon and then very cleverly you go by the bush and take a car. <laughs> well, it's a bit difficult now because usually there is a car with a camera monitoring all what is going on on the run. Now if you are able to do that and then just one kilometer before the finish line, you emerge there. And you look like Mr. Bean. Well, if you are caught on the camera, you will be disqualified. You haven't competed according to the rules. Let's be careful. I knew you'd laugh. But they do all that for a corruptible, perishable crowd. But we are doing what we're doing, fighting the good fight of faith for an incorruptible, imperishable crown. We're not going into crowns today. They are quite different crowns. Incorruptible crown, victors, crown of victory, crown of life, which is a crown for those who die for Christ. And this was promised to the church of Smyrna, where there was intense persecution. Martyr. Remember, Stephen, the first martyr. Stephen means crown, by the way. Those will receive a crown of life. Through that death, a crown of life will come. And they will bow before Christ with it. There is a crown of glory. <laughs> oh dear. This is the elders' crown. There is a particular crown for the elders. Let's read that. First Peter chapter 5. Let's turn to that. First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, we're reading from verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God. Okay, let's start from the beginning. The elders who are among you, I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, and also a partake of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest, dishonest gain, but eagerly, not nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Verse 5. Likewise, you young people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another 
and be clothed with humility. Crown of glory, elders crown. Shepherding the flock, teaching the flock in order for them to grow to maturity in a deeper knowledge of Jesus Christ. There is the crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness is for those who love the Lord's appearing. Paul said, I know it's laid down for me, not only for me, but also for those who love the appearing of Christ. Verse 26, we are called to run with certainty and not as beating the air. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26. Where there's no time to waste. There's no time to waste energy. There's no time. Imagine a boxer entering a ring and facing the public and beating the air. I'm telling you, if he's against Mike Tyson, that won't last a second. Beating the air, waste of time, unnecessary endeavor, self-righteousness won't lead to anything. We need to compete to run according to the rules set by God. There are other forms of rewards which are also listed in the book of Revelation to eat of the tree of life, the crown of life, the hidden manna to eat, the white stone with a new name, the power over nation, the white garment to be made a pillar in the temple of God, to receive a new name from God, to sit with God on his throne. All these are rewards. I mentioned already shining like stars, etc. Let's do our final third reading. First Timothy, Timothy chapter 2. No, second Timothy, sorry. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 to 5. That's second Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 to 5. We can start from verse 3. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Verse 6, the hard-working farmer must be the first to partake of the crops. Competing according to the rules. What are those rules? Well, we need to know, to realize that there is a calling for each individual, each family, each church, and even each nation has a calling as a family, you have a role as a family of believers. Each church has a particular calling. We know the nation of Israel has a particular calling as well. The other rule is to build on, on that single foundation Christ. That is to receive and recognize God's grace and serve him accordingly is to build on it as a wise master builder. This is personal responsibility and zeal in obedience to God. 
build with the right material. This is to offer up our life to the Lord, which is the most reasonable service. Romans 12, verse 1. To discern who is the originator, the initiator, Ephesians 2, 10, the good work that God prepared beforehand that we might work in them. Where we speak a lot about revelation, I prefer more inspiration. Inspiration. Revelation is good, but inspiration. If God inspires something, it will be of eternal value. The Lord says, without me, you can do nothing. John 15, 5. Seeking God's will and his provision, not leaning on our own understanding. There are a series of spiritual rules in Philippians chapter 2, 1 to 4. Love, fellowship, affection, mercy, humility, selflessness, Christ-likeness. In conclusion, we need to persevere in serving the Lord, to run with our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. The Lord is not unjust to forget all your work and labor of love you have shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints, and do minister. The Lord desires that each one of us show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Revelation 22, verse 12, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Amen. Let's pray. Sorry, run over by five minutes there. Apologies for that. Let's pray. Precious Lord, the master of the house, the head of the body, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, we bless you, Lord, for this uh, simple reminder, Lord, you've given to us through your words. We give you honor, we give you praise. And we commit our lives to your divine care. And we pray that, Lord, you uphold us and you help us to run this race earnestly, looking unto you. Lord, we pray that you fill us with your spirit of the promise. You enable us, Lord, to live for you and to endure to the end. Bless us, Lord, we pray, as we return all the glory to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless you.